Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses worked your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Hi there, prom party. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Are you allowed to have a movie based in this part of the country without saying like, oh, crap, oh, gosh, at some point? I feel like it has to be somewhere in the writer that if anything is set in Minnesota, at least one person has to say, oh, crap, or oh, God, at some point. As someone who has spent a fair amount of time in their life in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. how, how, how true to form are these accents? Okay, so here's the thing about the accent. The accent exists the farther north you get. Like the closer, closer you, to Canada. The closer you get to Canada, the more that it appears. Okay. Um, but that's also why the Chicago accent is that like meh sound. Those really harsh vowels that pop the mic sometimes yes. when you talk. <laughs> yes. Um, Chicago is like a lazier version of all of that, so it just sounds gruffer, but Okay, side question then. Yes. How, how good is Dan Aykroyd's accent in the Blues Brothers? It's pretty good. Is it? Yes. Yeah, okay, good. I always thought it was over the top. <laughs> no, that's pretty good. Okay, well, good. <laughs> if you spend enough time in like a Chicago bar, you're going to find that guy. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, friends, we're talking about one of my favorite movies of all time, like my literal favorite comedy movie of all time, and mm-hmm. I'm apologizing in advance for how frequently I'm going to drop into this accent because I can't not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, we're now a bougie linguistics podcast. <laughs> there is a, a reason behind doing this when we chose to. So at the time of recording, neither of these events have happened. But uh, when this comes out, the Miss USA pageant will have taken place. And the following week is Miss America. Mm-hmm. So what better time to talk about the wonderful world of beauty pageants than now? Yeah, I, our, our second beauty pageant movie. Surprisingly, yes, our second also beauty pageant movie. Also with tap dancing. Also with tap dancing. It's an American staple. We also really, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of repeats in this. This is our second Kirstie Alley movie. This is our third Alice and Janney movie. This is our third Alice and Janney movie. I think I, this puts her ahead in the races of people we've seen the most on the show. Probably, and I hope she stays there. She won't. She'll no, get passed, she won't. But one <laughs> for now, she's leading. I feel like one more movie and Rachel Lee Cook uh, takes the lead. <sighs> oh no, she's tied with Rachel Lee Cook. Oh yeah, because Josie and then the two that's yeah, yeah. So Alison <laughs> Janney is tied with Rachel Lee Cook for appearances on our show so far. Okay, well, that's reasonable. You know what though? I like that. I think that makes sense for with... our taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> 
So, anywho, we're talking about Drop Dead Gorgeous, the amazing satirical beauty pageant mockumentary from the 90s. That BJ quoted almost the entire movie of when we sat down to watch it. I, again... I can't not. Mm-hmm. I'm not apologizing for it. <laughs> there are few movies that I can sit and quote incessantly. This is one of them. It's very quotable. There's some pretty great dialogue it's in this very, movie. Qu- it's very, very quotable. And also, uh, as we've discussed many times on the podcast, I grew up in the world of small town pageantry. So this speaks to me on a level that I can't relate to with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie hits me in a very, very sweet spot. It's problematic elements and all. Oh, warts and all. (laughs) (laughs) So before we dive into it, um, I feel like I'm the one who introduced you to this movie. No. Oh, I was not? We're not. Oh, incredible. Okay, so tell me the story. What did you know about this movie before I brought it into your life? I'd seen like half of it. How though? This was like such a hard to find movie. It was on TV one day. Weird. Yeah, I caught the uh, the beauty pageant half of it, so okay. then I did not have any of the setup, which meant that none of the humor landed the way it should have, but I stayed. Because, <laughs> you know, being like 12, 13 years old, whatever it would have been, I had a very big interest in anything that was like high femme like this, mm-hmm. whether it be like ballet or beauty pageants mm-hmm. or, or anything with like, ooh, sparkly outfits. Okay. This tracks, this tracks. So, I completely understand why you would have gotten sucked in during the pageant portion. Well, that was the part that I just happened to turn on and mm-hmm. went, what is this? And then didn't change the channel. That humor must have been real weird. Yeah. <laughs> when you have no setup for this movie, it's you're just in another world. <laughs> That's a, a very, very good point. People are just speaking like Portuguese to my little baby brain. <laughs> and I have no idea what they're talking about in, in this movie. That's really funny to me. So yes, I watched the whole thing for the first time with you. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'm glad that I could give you this gift. Yeah. (laughs) So for those who have never seen Drop Dead Gorgeous, and I'm not going to hold it against you because this movie was really hard to find for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a movie that a lot of people have heard of but haven't seen. Uh, There was a big boost when it finally did end up on streaming. I think it was on Hulu for a short period of time a couple years ago. People went apeshit because they're like, we don't know when it's going to go away again. And Mm -hmm. it's not one of those movies where you can just be like, well, buy physical media because it's been out of print for a very long time. Yeah. Like a lot of movies. Like that's why we haven't done Spice World yet. Yeah. Because it's impossible to find. That's why we didn't watch Dogma the other night because I got a bug in my butt and then found out like, (laughs) oh, it's nowhere. And also it's out of print and expensive. Yeah. So this movie will be getting a Blu-ray release sometime in the new year. Thank fuck, because it deserves it. Um, So for those who haven't seen it, here is the synopsis from our Friendango. An annual beauty pageant in small town Minnesota turns ridiculously competitive and ultimately chaotic in this biting comedy. Amber Atkins, Kirsten Dunst, the daughter of hard-drinking mom Annette, Ellen Barkin, and Becky Lehman, Denise Richards, who is motivated by her former beauty queen mother, Gladys, Kirstie Alley, are among the top contenders in the event. As Amber, Becky, and other local girls prepare for the big day, bizarre incidents occur, leading up to an ending with a bang. That is a very thorough synopsis for once. Especially for a movie that did not perform well in theaters. Yeah, this uh, is a pretty good synopsis. The only thing that I'm a little hesitant about it is that I wish that they would have noted that it was a mockumentary. Mm -hmm. Because I think that is one of the 
shining pieces of Drop Dead Gorgeous is that it is shot in a mockumentary style. Mm-hmm. I would argue that this is the only mockumentary ever made that can hold a candle to like a Christopher Guest film. Uh, I could see that. I actually did a pretty large amount of research about mockumentaries. Oh, did you? Yes, in preparation for our historical context section. Okay, which, I'm excited. I'm, I'm just going to assume that's what we call it. Like, it never got a name. That's just, this yeah, is the part of the movie a, where we talk about it's that It's like thing. historical context or cultural relevancy. Like, there's a, whatever you want to yes, call this we're, section. We're, it's, it's a hat of many colors, mm-hmm. and it really depends on the circumstance, because... God damn it, if Drop Dead Gorgeous was not released in 1999, the, the year, the most stellar and stacked year for teen movies ever. I feel like when it comes to teen movies, there are like three distinct eras, and they're before John Hughes, mm-hmm. after John Hughes, 1999. And anything after. Like, those are the the breakdowns of the teen movie canon. Yeah. No, I, I could see that. So rather than just be like, oh, hey, uh, here's the list of everything that came out. Big blockbusters, 90s classics, teen classics, and right. cult classics alike. Many of which we've already covered on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to do a little bit, a little, little more breakdown. So we're going to use our segment today to talk about... Why we don't think this movie did well. Yeah, let's go for it. Because this movie did not really make money. No, it did not make money at all. It was a huge flop. And the weird thing is it didn't flop hard enough to become something like Waterworld. Oh, God, I love Waterworld. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I say that like that movie's a flop and your immediate response is like, God, I love that movie. This I'll spend mo- four hours watching Waterworld on a Saturday <laughs> com- afternoon with commercials. Because yeah. it's a long fucking movie with commercials. Yeah, and this movie didn't get sort of that reclamation afterwards and it's because it was so hard to find Mm -hmm. but yes let's dive in what have you brought to the table okay so first of all i did a lot of research about mockumentaries okay and christopher guest he he basically invented what the mockumentary is with spinal tap Mm -hmm. and the thing is when i think of like definitive christopher guest i don't specifically think of spinal tap i think of more like a Best in Show or A Mighty Wind, those are those are the definite Christopher Guest things because he had his mm-hmm. formula figured out by then. Right. But if you look at how well those movies did, um, they made double their budget, mm-hmm. but they also didn't cost very much to make. That's the benefit of doing a mockumentary is, for the most part, they're pretty low on the back end. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some that are definitely a little bit flashier, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you've seen before in your group, but that's a mockumentary from 1993 about, like, rap and hip-hop. Mm-hmm. That one cost a little bit more just because the lavish style of hip-hop yes. um, in the 90s. But otherwise, yeah, mockumentaries are made for pretty cheap. They they also don't really draw. Um, obviously, Borat made a lot of money. That's kind of the first one to have made a lot of money. Yes. And we see this style has been replicated in television very successfully mm-hmm. with everything since The Office. Oh, yeah. Like, th- this is a very common formula, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really do numbers in the theaters, which I think is one reason that this just didn't land. Also, the trailer didn't really portray it as a mockumentary, and the trailer's fucking weird. The trailer has such a weird mixed tone that does not give you a good indication of what you're signing up for at all. No, no There's like a lot of zany sound effects. It's, no. No, it's, uh, God, I just, I don't even know what to wrap around, what to glean from. It just feels like noise. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like you're pitching me a movie. It's, you're giving me noise, and also... There's more than one scene in the trailer that aren't in the movie. 
it also gives away some of the biggest reveals, which you don't know that they're the reveals until you've seen the movie. Yeah. But even us watching it, we were like, that's a weird thing to include in the trailer because that's a huge reveal. They include the swan exploding in the trailer. The swan ate my baby. <laughs> like, that that's like saying, like, oh, hey, the Death Star explodes. Let's put it in the trailer. Right. It's really weird. It's like, no, no like, that's a huge shift in the movie. Yeah. So um, that that's that's another thing with why it was marketed really weird. I know what some of your big city no-bra-wearing, hairy-legged women libbers might say. They might say that a pageant is old-fashioned and demeaning to the girls. Yeah. What sick is women dressing like men? Oh, you yeah, betcha, indeed. Iris. No, I think you boys are going to find something a little bit different here in Montrose. Mm -hmm. For one thing, we're all God-fearing folk, mm -hmm. every last one of us. Mm -hmm. And you will not find a back room in our video store. No, <laughs> no, no, that filth is better left to the Sin Cities. A.K.A. Minneapolis St. Paul. But I think the biggest reason that this movie did not do well in the year of the teen movie mm -hmm. is uh, it got buried by other films. Because mm -hmm. here's the thing. If you look at this year, you've got like She's All That, 10 Things I Hate About You, Never Been Kissed, uh, Cruel Intentions, Varsity Blues, which, you know, is apparently a teen girl movie, but not a teen girl movie, but is. It's a teen girl movie. Teen boys were not watching Varsity Blues. Yeah, so I've never seen it. I take your word for it. Yes. All of those movies did very well for themselves oh, financially. Yeah. They were blockbusters by teen movie standards. Mm-hmm. They were also all released in like the first three months of the year. Oh, okay. That's interesting. It was a very tight schedule for those. Drop Dead Gorgeous was released in the summer. Mm. It got crushed by summer blockbusters like Big Daddy, American Pie, Tarzan. Oh, American Pie would have taken all of that audience. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the biggest earner of the July month, Wild Wild West. <laughs> You're the only person in the world I know who will go to bat for that movie as hard as you do. I just, I think it's very fun. It's, <laughs> I, I love it when we used to spend money on big, expensive films that knew they were big and dumb and expensive. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I enjoy The Meg. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Rather than things we can go, no, we're, we're taking what we're doing seriously. I'm like, no, you're bad. <laughs> just be <laughs> honest about it. Don't lie to me. <laughs> but this was also released at the end of July. So if you, even if you look at August, it's still competing with things like The Blair Witch Project, which is also a summer movie, which is fucking weird. That is a weird release. And The Sixth Sense. Oh. And Runaway Bride. Oh. And oh, yeah. They, this didn't stand a chance. Yes. Like, oh. it, so, so there's a lot of reasons I don't think this did well. None of them are the movie's fault. I also think that this movie didn't do well because this is a very specific brand of humor. Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of edgelord humor, um, but... Edgelord for girls? It's edgelord humor for girls. Uh -huh. And I think people are really uncomfortable by that. Because at this point, you know, South Park is huge. Mm -hmm. Like, that style of humor is huge. Mm -hmm. But these are all, like, very juvenile boy properties. This humor existing in a world that is so high femme, I think, makes people feel uncomfortable. And I don't think they know what to do with it. Um, yeah. Because admittedly, and we'll obviously talk about it, Drop Dead Gorgeous is a problematic as fuck movie. Yeah. This is, movie is in such bad taste. It's not Will Sass's fault. He did exactly what he was told. Correct. <laughs> we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. Um, but there is an article from The Guardian that was done in 2019, and it says, Drop Dead Gorgeous at 20, How Dark Pageant Comedy Works Better in 2019. And in it, uh, here's something that the, the author had to say that I completely agree with. Drop Dead Gorgeous bombed at the box office like a beauty queen riding a flammable giant Mexican swan, and the reviews from 99 were damning. 
Putting the words drop dead in the title is really tempting fate, wrote Janet Maslin in the New York Times. Roger Ebert opened his review with, Sometimes I wonder how anyone could have thought a screenplay was funny enough to film. Taste is, of course, always subjective. Some will never see the humor in an anorexic pageant winner describing her competition prep, or in an operatic attack of shellfish-based food poisoning. But choosing bad taste is not the same as doing a bad job. 20 years later, we live in a time that regularly confuses satire with endorsement, and Drop Dead Gorgeous may have been an early casualty of that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Well, yeah, especially because even at this point, this isn't a language people can understand yet. Like, mm-hmm. The Office isn't there. I mean, it, Christopher Guest has Spinal Tap, which didn't make really that much money. It made like $5 million and then did rentals. Mm-hmm. But his only other movie at this point, which is like, this is the closest comparison you can even have, is like Waiting for Guffman. Mm-hmm. Which also did not make money. Mm-hmm. So this is this is also just not a language of satire, of mockumentary. It's just, it is on a different planet than what everything else at this point. And especially because this is a movie with so many recognizable faces. Granted, a lot of them are character actors. Mm-hmm. But people know who these actors are. And God do, I love seeing them. Oh my God, they're so good in it. <laughs> and I think that was really confusing for a lot of people that they didn't understand that like everyone was in on a joke. Mm-hmm. And that this is also not encouraging this behavior like you're not supposed to really identify with any of these villains you're not supposed to see them as heroes the only real hero this movie has is amber like and she just lucks her way through life and she kind of lucks her way through life and she's also navigating like really unfortunate circumstances and making the best of it everyone else in this movie is kind of a problem excuse me i would like to say in terms of heroes Loretta is my hero. That's who I would be as a parent, which is why I don't have kids. <laughs> oh, you're cute. Oh, I see you're married. Oh, my God. Oh my God I love her so much. She's so, what a nice, cool mint help if I shoved your head up your ass. Oh, my fucking God. Put it on my tombstone. I love her so much. God, I love you, Allison Janney. She's incredible. Like, And the thing is, like, Allison Janney is an Oscar winner. Mm-hmm. Not at this point in her career, but she is now because we know that she's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think this is her best role. Like, I'm I'm so sorry, I, Tanya, and literally everything else she's done. I love her as Loretta so much because she just nails it. Like, she reminds me so much of the women that, like, my mom is friends with. Like, mm-hmm. she's all of them, and uh, I'm obsessed with her. It's it's a bold claim. I, I might say this is my favorite. Without really thinking about it mm-hmm. and, like, digging through her filmography, I would say this is my favorite. She's unbelievable. It's the best one we've covered. It's also the one where we get the most of her. Yeah, that's very, very true. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Not nearly enough in 10 Things I Hate About You. Another strike against that film. <laughs> <laughs> I demand more Allison Janney. So, yeah, there, there were a lot of things working against Drop Dead Gorgeous, but ultimately this is a film that sort of stood the test of time. It's one of the movies, similarly to Josie, that if I bring it up on Twitter, at least 20 people come out of the woodwork and talk about how much they love this movie. It's probably more than that. At this point, for sure. Once mm-hmm. it hits Blu-ray, I, I here's the thing I keep thinking about. I can't tell if when this gets a Blu-ray release and becomes a wide release, if people are going to finally get it, and be like, oh my god, where has this movie been all my life? Or are people going to write like backlash opinion pieces? Exactly. It's going to be like when Gen Z discovers Heathers. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. Or Tropic Thunder. Or Tropic Thunder. God. It's like, I, that's a fun every eight months. <laughs> seriously. Like, I don't know how people are going to respond to this movie. They're definitely going to have issues with Will Sasso, which, well, again, we will get to. Mm-hmm. But um, there's just so much going on in this movie that just 
works for me on so many levels. So mm-hmm. let's let's dive in. Let's talk about our protagonist first. Let's talk about contestant number eight, Amber Atkins. Amber's just great. She is so plucky and boy, she is just happy to be there. For real. She's <laughs> so she is the definition of that girl that you went to high school with who is just so nice. Like, she doesn't come from a lot of money. Mm-hmm. She's really just trying to get through it all. But she's so nice that you can't help but love her. Mm-hmm. I I love everything about her quirks. I love that she gets to, like, practice tap dancing and makeup because she works in a morgue. <laughs> she works at the Bone Gardens. Uh, yeah, and, like... Obviously, a lot of people can make the argument like, this is being really disrespectful to the deceased. Yeah, no shit. It's a satire. You're not supposed to take it seriously. Don't want her to look like a slut. Uh, A cheap whore. My bad. Is what they call it. Because that cheap whore is that family's loving mother. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to not quote this movie correctly the whole movie. Just to make me upset. Just to be slightly wrong. (laughs) Yeah, like, and, and it's very sweet because... Yes, she is blatantly disrespecting the dead by doing tap numbers while also putting on blush on I, dead corpses. I feel like that's every person who works in like a morgue or You've something. You've got to do something. It's to always keep some you dude happy. who's like eating around an open cadaver. And he's just like, mm, didn't wasn't a good day, Tuesday for her, and just like making like <laughs> bad CSI jokes as they put the sunglasses on. Like this is just what happens, and I feel like you have to do that in order to desensitize yourself. Right. But Amber is so aloof. She doesn't even have to desensitize herself. She just doesn't let it sink in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. These are dead people. She's like, oh, well, that's just Mr. Stevens. Yeah. I mean, this we see that after Brett Clemens is killed. Like, he asks her on a date, and then later that night is in the morgue because he took a bullet between the eyes. How weird. What a weird hunting accident. Well... Hunting's dangerous. <laughs> but with that scene, you know, her boss comes in and is like, oh, the parents want him to look like he just came in from, from the snow. And she's like, I know, I know, red nose and ears, I got it. And is so dismissive of this guy who just died who asked her out. And she she's like not crying. She's not having this big emotional moment. It's like, well, this is part of the job and it kind of sucks. But hey, you know what? It's a job that I can practice my tap dance at. So mm-hmm. I guess that's fine. Mm-hmm. Let's just say who should win, who deserves to win, is Amber. Why don't you just paint a big old target on your ass? Best damn tapper, the most smartest. Most smartest? Yeah. Oh, that's great. You're real educated, like most smartest. Get a picture of that. Most smartest. Most smartest. Come on, come on. I'm cutting you off and sending you home. She's got to go home. Excuse me, Annette, but I'm bragging up your kid here. Come on, let's go. Amber's going to be the next Diane Sawyer. I'll be right back. See you later. They're making a movie. All right, they're making a movie. You don't know where this is going to end. What makes you think that Becky's going to win? Why do I think Becky will win? You're talking. Ow, don't pinch. You're talking about the richest family in a small town. It's front page news, and one of them takes a shit. Oh, great. Oh, bless her. Yeah. Bless, bless her sweet little brain. Yes, but I, I and love. And her big old heart. <laughs> <laughs> but I love Amber so much because she is somebody who is. She's trying so hard to be so much better than what is expected of her Mm -hmm. because she lives in a trailer with her mom. Her mom is a lifer and it's pretty much expected that that is going to be her future, that she's not going to leave this town. She's also going to live in a trailer and she's just going to continue to perpetuate this cycle of poverty. Mm -hmm. And she has bigger dreams and ambitions than that. And I feel like that's really relatable for anybody who grew up in a town that is not a big city. I mean, I did. Right. My, my town, I think, had like 10,000, 12,000 people. 
I feel like Amber Atkins is the personification of that moment in Knives and Skin where he's standing on top of the roof and he's like, I just need to know that there's more out there. Yes, but she is significantly more optimistic than the people in that movie. of course she is. It was the 90s. We had more hope. (laughs) Yeah, so she's really optimistic about it. She wants to be Diane Sawyer. She wants to do better herself. And this is her ticket out, is winning this pageant. Uh And I hate that that is such a true thing for so many people. Uh Uh, There is a girl that I went to college with. I will not say her name, but um, if pageant sleuths out there want to figure it out i'm sure you could but there's a girl i went to college with who grew up in a very 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 small one horse town Mm -hmm. she is one of the most beautiful women i've ever seen in my life up close she won every pageant she won like the county pageant she did everything but the big thing is she ended up winning miss illinois Mm -hmm. and being miss illinois puts you on this other level so that ended up being What got her out of that area? And I'm sure she loved being the big fish in the small pond, but now she like lives in Chicago and has a bajillion dollars and is super successful Mm -hmm. and is still one of the most beautiful people I've ever met in my life and does like a ton of philanthropy work. But if it weren't for her career in pageantry, she would probably still be in that hometown. Like I really genuinely believe that. Probably. A lot of people don't leave their hometowns. A lot of people don't. Most people don't. And also, like, there's no shame in not leaving your hometown. I'm not trying to, like, shit on people who are townies. But if you have ambitions and you want to get out. It's hard. It's hard. It's really fucking hard to do it. Like, what is that statistic? Like, 80% of people die within, like, 10 miles of where they grew up? Something like that. Yeah. An approximation of those numbers. Yeah, which is wild to me. But that that's a reality. And Amber's like, I don't want this for my life. I want out. And mm-hmm. this is my way to try and do it. And I think that that's amazing. The big snag that she runs into is Rebecca Ann Lehman. Speaking of some of the most gorgeous people we've ever seen in our God lives. God damn, Denise Richards. Denise Richards still is one of the most gorgeous people. Very, very true. So like, yeah. An eyebrow queen long before we uh, had them. Yes. <laughs> Just, she's she's lovely. She plays evil so well in this. And the best part about it is that Becky Lehman is definitely evil. Don't get me wrong. She she follows through with a lot of that generational crazy that she gets from her mother. She is a product of her environment. Oh, she, yeah. She grew up into privilege and to an unstable mother. Oh, yeah. I know Rebecca Ann Lehman's. I've done pageants with Rebecca Ann Lehman's. Oh, yeah. She sees Ooh. this pageant as like her birthright. Exactly. Like Amber sees this as an opportunity. Becky sees it as what is owed to her. Oh, this is an inevitability. Oh, And you yeah. are in the way. And mm-hmm. that means you are taking something from me. You are you taking. You are stealing yes. my crown. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. This is the definition of when we talk about how people are like, Hey, uh, people wanting to be on the same playing field with you sometimes feels like oppression. And that's why white people have so much difficulty uh, understanding like anti-racism training and Mm -hmm. implicit bias Mm -hmm. because they feel like they're being attacked Mm -hmm. when in reality, the playing field is just being even. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, golly. Boy, she is uh, a a lot. She seems very pleasant. Um, She's full of lies. That's why her hair is so big and full. 
Voluminous? Voluptuous? Voluminous? Voluminous. <laughs> That's, Voluminous. That's the word I wanted. Found it. Got it. <laughs> yes. Anyway, her hair is big. Not as big as her mom's. No. But she did grow up in the 80s. That's very true. And also, nobody can touch the the tease of Kirstie Alley. Look, no. Kirstie she's Alley a, is... She's a bad person, but gosh, her hair has so much power. Kirstie Alley is an atrocious conservative trumper, and it breaks my heart every single time I think about it. But between It Takes Two and Drop Dead Gorgeous... And look who's talking. Um, I'll throw that in there, even though I've not even seen those movies. Goddamn, Kirstie Alley. What, what is your process? How do you do this? How do you maintain it? Please teach me your secrets. Nowadays, if you see hair that big, it's extensions. Right. And hers was not. No. That was just her hair. Unbelievable. Like, per square inch of her head, it has like 10 times the follicles of the average human head. <laughs> She's like a super weapon. <laughs> Kirstie Alley's hair is a bio-weapon. It is. (laughs) But it's kind of impossible to talk about Becky without talking about Gladys. That's because they're basically the same person. They're one and the same, but Gladys is obviously the the evil puppeteer of Mm -hmm. of all of it. Her daughter is the prototype version of her. Correct. One day you will grow into me because I used to be you. Correct. And speaking of used to be you... There's, a, there's an aspect of Drop Dead Gorgeous that I don't know if a lot of people catch. Mm. So the big thing they talk about is the, the American Teen Princess pageant is a pageant you can only enter when you're 17. It is exclusively for 17-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And Gladys won when she was 17. Cool. We got that. What's interesting, though, is that when she's introduced during the pageant, because she's the MC, they say, let us take you back 17 years when a peanut farmer was in the White House and a group of boys calling themselves Queen topped the charts and Gladys Lehman was Gladys Wood and she was Mount Rose's American Teen Princess. Also, fuck me for knowing that speech without having to look at it. Anyway, (laughs) you do the math on that. Gladys was pregnant with Becky and now we know why she wanted to go to state so fucking bad Mm -hmm. because she didn't get to go because she was pregnant with Becky, because Becky is now 17. So 17 years from her mom getting crowned to now, Becky Lehman was a little bun in the oven. Little little Lester Lehman put a little baby in her, and then she didn't get to go to state, so now she's got to push that pressure onto her daughter so she can finally go to state, because Becky kind of took that from her, because that's, obviously we're not blaming a child here. I'm saying in the mind of Gladys, this baby took that opportunity for her, and now Becky owes it to her to go to state. It's the tried and true tragedy of parents trying to live their dreams through their children. Uh-huh. And I unfortunately knew a lot of parents like this. Did they also resort to murder? No. Oh. No, they didn't. They oh. just resorted to, like, really catty behavior that was really passive-aggressive to try to make young girls sad. I was thinking about this actually yesterday because yesterday was the finale of Dancing with the Stars in which JoJo Siwa came in second. And all I could think about is this episode of Dance Moms where one of the moms from the rival team, the Candy Apples, told JoJo Siwa's mom, like, your daughter is never going to be a star. Mm-hmm. LOL at you, you dumb bitch. How about how you feel now? JoJo has so much money. And so much power. Oh, dear. So much influence. I I loved it when she was like 14 and she would just be like, look at all my money. Look at all this merchandise with my face on it. Yeah, she's great. (laughs) And I'm like, I love how self-aware you are. You you are your own drop-dead gorgeous 
like satire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were living your best satire life, and it's incredible. Yeah, she's great. She has a car with her own face on it. Oh, it's great. She's not doing that because she wants it. She's doing it because she can. And it's funny. And it's hilarious. Yeah. Like, I love how self-aware she is. She's brilliant. She's a mm-hmm. camp icon. Um, but th- that's a very real part of pageantry is the the is parents. Pettiness? Well, yeah, pettiness is a huge part of it, for sure. Murder, well, not Why so else much. would anyone watch Dance Moms? Very, very good point. And I also need to catch myself because I was like, not so much murder, but just kidding. One of the most famous unsolved murders in America has to do with a beauty queen. So yeah, my bad. Oops. <laughs> it also controlled my entire pageant experience as a child. So that's fun, too. Do you want to talk about that? I mean, sure. Yeah, let's dive into it. So I entered my first pageant when I was four. And I feel like I need to to preface this because things like toddlers and tiaras have like completely destroyed the landscape of people's perception of pageantry. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to say there's plenty of things to criticize about pageants, like an immeasurable amount of things to criticize about pageants. This is not a defensive pageantry podcast. This is me specifically trying to clear the air and let you all know that the pageants that I entered as a child and throughout my life were of my own accord. They were my decision. I was never forced into them, and I did not have a bad time. I actually had quite a good time. It's because you demand attention. Y- yes, and that's that was one of the ways I could get it as a kid. Anyway, so JonBenet Ramsey dies. When I'm six, she is also six. I'm also doing pageants. And the thing that a lot of people don't know is that JonBenet Ramsey's death changed the entire landscape of pageantry. So the first thing that happened is people stopped doing it. It was very similarly to how like 9-11 happened and everyone was like, I'm never going on a plane again. Mm -hmm. Everyone was suddenly convinced that if their kids were doing pageants, then they were now targets for like murder. So a lot of people stopped doing them. When you have less people interested in them, that means that there's less people paying like entrance fees. There's less people going to pageants. There's less money being made. Mm-hmm. So entering them got way more expensive, which unfortunately did lead to kind of this like rich, wealthy, elitist world of toddlers and tiaras that we now find ourselves in. Okay. Outside of the monetary aspect of it all, and full disclosure, because I talk about it a lot about being poor, all of my dresses were hand me downs or stuff that my mom got at like thrift stores yard sales people whose kids had first communions and then like the dresses got modified like we figured out how to do it for for no money you're ballrooming on a budget i was <laughs> ballrooming on a budget for sure <laughs> um but it also changed the, the the standard of beauty set for children mm-hmm. when i did pageants it was a little bit more forgiving if kids entered in what were like their flower girl dresses from their aunt's wedding. Mm-hmm. We all had very like pretty natural hair. Like I had like curly hair for sure, but it was not this like big bouffant thing that we see now with fake hair and flippers and whatever with toddlers and tiaras. Mm-hmm. That look, that like over manicured look is parents continuing to try and chase the look of John Benet Ramsey on magazine covers because that's what she looked like. And she was declared like America's little sweetheart, the most beautiful girl. So everyone started trying to make their kids look like John Benet Ramsey. And that is so fucked up on like so many levels. Uh-huh. And it's only been something that I've been unpacking in the last like couple of years or so. 
but I have this very distinct memory and I, I've written about it. Actually, I wrote a, I wrote an article called Surviving Glitzkrieg. And <laughs> good, good name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, where I was like six or seven and we were picking out my new pageant dress. And I remember seeing this like black and polka dotted one. I thought it was so cute. Mm-hmm. And the woman who was working as my pageant coach was like, no, no, no. How about this one? This is like a really cute JonBenet dress, don't you think? And like that was such casual language at the time. And it's only been now as an adult where I'm like, uh, wait, hold on. Several questions here. First of all, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, where I'm like, that's so gross and so weird on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that like that was the first time that I understood that there is a standard of beauty and I'm not it. Because I'm not blonde and I have a gap between my teeth and I don't like dresses that look like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't have naturally sparkling blue eyes. It, you also it, don't have the most large Kirstie Alley sized hair. I don't have Kirstie Alley hair. On a small hair. child. Yeah. And, and it was a very weird thing to navigate of like, I'm never going to look like that. But then at the same time, I was like, but hey, I get to be alive. So, so who wins? <laughs> and like that's also a really fucked up thing for a six year old to think. But I totally did. Uh huh. Is weird. Is wild. Is weird. Pageantry is weird. I have a lot of mixed feelings about it. Warp, like warps your brain. Apparently. It war- it warps your fucking brain. Like it really really does. I chose Mount Rushmore because to live in a country where you can take an ugly old mountain and put faces on it, faces of great Americans who did so much to make our country super great. Well, that makes me Rebecca Lehman, proud to be an American. Living in a country where no matter who you are or where you come from, you can grow up and become what you've always dreamed of makes me, Amber Atkins, proud to be an American. Atomic power makes me, Molly Howard, proud to be an Asian American. My uncle, Bill's world's largest ball of twine, in Bundy, Minnesota, it makes me proud I'm American. I kind of misunderstood the assignment. So on one hand, I completely understand like the Amber Atkins need to get out of your small town and seeing pageantry as a way to do it. But in another way, I also weirdly kind of feel bad for Becky Lehman because all of those standards have been set upon her since birth mm-hmm. and it has completely warped who she is as a person and like she's 17 like if she was a little bit older and like on her own i'd be like okay now it's time for you to make decisions on your own and realize that like you're kind of being an asshole here but she's 17 and she's got everything she could have ever wanted and she's got a lot of pressure from her parents i get why she's a heinous bitch i get it okay but here's two questions would she ever leave her small town? Because that's where her family and their money and big fish and little pond isms are. That is a great point. I don't think she would. I don't think she would either. Point two. If you've been like this your whole life, what motivates you to change? That's a great point. That's an excellent point. She wouldn't. Yeah, no. She, <laughs> she, she's DOA. Like, there's, there's no saving her. Well, that's fine because she explodes. So, so there we go. <laughs> Die a hero. Don't live live to see yourself be a failure. Don't live long enough to see yourself become your mother. Exactly. So it's fine now. Yeah. So let's talk about some of our side characters because we've gone on a bunch of tangents already. Um, I, I think that these are important tangents. I've, you're, you're right. They are pretty important tangents. Let's talk about Amber's mom. Mm-hmm. I love her. 
I think she is trashy in all the best ways. Uh, she's responsible for giving me the phrase road hard and put away wet. I assumed when I heard it in this movie the first time. Uh-huh. Also, I think the first time you showed me this movie was during that period it ended up on Hulu and you were like, we have to watch this. I own it, but it's important that we watch it on Hulu. Well, because I was like, we need to give it as many stream numbers as possible. Otherwise, it will go away. Yes. But she is like the pinnacle of trailer park glamour. Mm-hmm. Everything about her styling says, this is the way I've been doing it since I was like 14. Oh, yeah. This is the same hairstyle I've had forever. That's the same brand of cigarettes I've been smoking since I was 12. Mm-hmm. I, I love Annette so much. Um, I think that she is hilarious. And she has so many like one-off jokes that if you're not paying attention to it, you're like, oh, that's really good. Like she walks into to Amber's room when she's getting interviewed by the documentary crew. And she's first thing she says is, Oh, shit, which is just such a great mom reaction. And, you know, Amber's trying to explain, oh, these are the the documentarians. They want to talk about me for the movie. And her reaction is, well, if they ask you to take your top off, get the money first, and then leaves. And Kirsten Dunst's face is just like the silent acceptance of, yeah, that that tracks for my mom. Okay. (laughs) Just so funny. So goddamn funny. I love her reactions during the entirety of the pageant. She's so high on pain medications because this is after there has been an attempt made on her and Amber's life. And <laughs> she's been blown up, flown through a window, got a beer can fused to her hand, which will inevitably be chopped off. And turned into a hook hand. Yep. But yeah, the uh, the reveal of her having a, a beer can fused to her hand and ruined by ruined a good pair of Lee Press-Ons. Goddamn. It's like... like th- I don't understand how people can hate this movie. Like the satire is so apparent and so like you, I'm, how do you take this movie seriously? Like, I'm so sorry, but like, if you're a person that's like, well, I just can't get into it. I just think it's in bad taste. No shit. Bad taste. Okay. That, that's subjective. However, here's kind of a theory I have. Lay it on me. The best satire ever written is by people who understand a subject Mm-hmm. And I think the people who wrote this understood what they were writing about in terms of like pageants and small town life and being a teen girl and all of these little aspects. And I think a lot of people who criticize it don't understand those. They're not familiar with that world or even. I think they're not familiar with small town life. I don't think that think they're so. familiar with small town America. Yeah. I think, and I I don't want to be one of those like, ooh, boo to the coastal elites. I don't want to be that person. Mm-hmm. But it is dishonest when you have all of these big name critics at the time who are living in places like New York and Los Angeles. And in some of these cases, likely come also come from money. Because we know that about a lot of people who write at these big publications, that they do come from money. Mm-hmm. They have no idea what it's like for some of us. They have no idea what it's like to have a mayor who is going to sit there and talk about how the Shriners are a bunch of no good, lazy sons of bitches on camera and not give a fuck because it will not affect their election campaign. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't know that world. Yes. And I think, I think. Big brain think. I don't know if it's a big brain. A moderate brain. I don't understand why mockumentaries aren't bigger than they are. I mean, they obviously have very successful television shows. Um, Trailer Park Boys, Parks and Rec, uh, just to add to everything else we've already named. So I don't know if people can really understand 
what satire is in this day and age because even the onion is fucking struggling to keep up with our beyond satire world yeah that's true but the thing that i think that works the best about all mo- most of if not all of my favorite satire films that even includes something like borat which is not my favorite but the christopher guest ones specifically they're taking something that is inherently like uncouth un- uh, trashy and they are giving it this reverence this esteem of being the most important thing on a small scale. And I think when you are bigger than that thing, you look down on it rather than look up at it, and it's hard to suspend your disbelief on this story. I think it's also really due to the fact that people fucking hate pageants. Well, that too. They hate them. Like, it's really easy to buy into something like Best of Show. Like, even if you don't particularly like or know anything about dog showing. I truly do not understand them at all. People love dogs, though. And they love... Look at the puppies. Look at these puppies who probably live better than me and also worse than me. Or something like Spinal Tap, where it's like, oh, I get it. I like... Like, rock stars. I understand that. Look, rock stars are dumb. Isn't it fun to laugh at them? Or something like the TV series American Vandal. I love true crime, therefore this makes sense to me, even though, like, American Vandal to me is the closest comparison that I could make to something like Drop Dead Gorgeous, Mm -hmm. because it is so ruthlessly mocking true crime specials and the way that true crime stuff is filmed, but it's about spray painting dicks like mm-hmm. it's the most immature thing possible but taken so seriously like given the same level of seriousness as a murder mystery mm-hmm. and i think that that's hilarious and super brilliant i think people aggressively hate pageantry and again i understand why i don't need anyone to come in the comments and be like well did you know this and this or have you seen the john oliver thing about miss Amer-? yes i lived <laughs> it i was in it i understand all of it i promise you you're so full of beans on I, being defensive <laughs> i'm so full of beans on it because people talk to me like i'm an idiot all the time about it like being in pageants is one of those things where i get so i get more shit about being in pageants than literally anything else i've done in my life anything else hey that decision you made when you were six fuck you for real though (laughs) like it's so ridiculous so yeah i do get a little i get a little steamed up about it a little bit um but i have my reasons for why i did pageants especially as an adult and i'll be honest it's because people told me that i couldn't because i did them as a kid and then i got into a teen my teen years and i was a goth and i was a punk and people were like you can't do it again and I was like, really? Fucking watch me. I'm going to get back in the saddle for one last heist. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and then I did it, and it was a huge deal. Because when I entered, I don't know if I've told this story on, on the air. I know I've told the story about how I entered a pageant again. I don't think I talked about what happened. Mm-hmm. So I entered the Junior Miss pageant, which is for girls between the ages of 10 and 15. I was 12 or 13. I entered the pageant that year. And at the time that I signed up, I was against five other girls. Mm-hmm. Five. We had one rehearsal. Every single one of them dropped out. Every one, every last fucking one of them dropped out. Because pageants require public speaking. They require interviews. Two things that I am dummy good at. I mean, sometimes on this show. I have mess over my words. You make me sound very nice. But... The magic of production. <laughs> I like to think that we're a well-produced show. But as as like a tw- <laughs> as a twelve-year-old, I knew how to talk in front of people. I did theater. I did choir. I was a performer. I was a competitor. I was on the national team for baton at this point. So I, we go to our first rehearsal and we do our introductions on the microphone, 
and I know how to command a stage. And the other girls I was against who were at the time like the quote unquote popular girls who were who were like the, the really preppy girls who all were really beautiful, came from a lot of money, all had boyfriends. They all went, oh, my God, we're going to get beat by the weird goth girl. And they dropped out. Mm-hmm. So I did my junior Miss pageant against myself. And it was one of those moments where the second I came out on stage and like did my performance, even the judges like during the interview were like, is it weird that you're doing it by yourself? And I was like, hey, when we started the, the, the process, I was not by myself. And they all kind of collectively understood what happened. And they're like, oh, okay, you, you literally scared them out of the competition. It's like, mm-hmm, yeah. Got smoked. I, yeah, I understand what they happened. They didn't leave out of the goodness of their heart like Brittany Murphy. Oh, no, no. They were scared. Yeah. And like that is a very weird thing for me to admit because it sounds so cocky. Was I the most quote unquote beautiful of those girls? Absolutely not. No. Oh, I'd probably disagree, but. No, well, thank you. That's very sweet of you. I'm sure that I would have been an 11 year old going like, oh my gosh, she's so pretty. <laughs> but like, I was not the most like conventionally pretty girl. I had hit puberty before all of them. So my body looked very womanly compared to all of them. Mm-hmm. But I could speak and I can interview two things that none of them could do. So they all panicked and they all left because pageantry is not just about who is the most quote unquote beautiful. Does it help? Yes, of course. But there are other factors to it. And I figured out how to kind of make the system work for me. And I think that that is very beautiful in a broken system. Oh, yeah. It's a very broken system. There's a reason that I retired. Yeah. Because after a certain point, it doesn't matter how good I am at public speaking. It doesn't matter how good my talent is. I'm a fat girl and I'm gay. They don't want my kind there. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> so speaking of, this is going to be me tiptoeing into some waters. So speaking of, you know, you were able to out-talk your competition. You were able to outperform and out-confidence your competition because it's not all about looks. Mm-hmm. For some judges, it is. Mm-hmm. Like uh, one of the judges that we have here in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Mr. John Doe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mr. John Doe, just he just has a camera, you know. Just, just It's not for filming girls. It's for auto accidents. He just, you mm-hmm. know, really, really, mm-hmm. really just a big fan of young girls. Mm-hmm. And when they bend over and, oh, look, there's paint on them now. I need to smoke a cigarette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Mr. John Doe cares about about, about talent. No. Mr. And John Doe is the reason that Leslie Miller, uh, Amy Adams, in her very first screen role, took third place. And Amy Adams, gosh, her arms. Her arms are so buff in this movie. It's amazing. <laughs> like, she does her cheer, and I'm just sitting there going, fuck, Amy Adams' arms look great. Amy Adams has been doing some push-ups. <laughs> Also, Amy Adams just kills it in, like, such a good side part, side role in this movie. Oh, yeah. She's such good com- comedic relief. She's hilarious. She's honestly all of these, like, non... Non-Amber and Becky's. Non-Amber Becky roles. Like, all of them are good. Oh, yeah. And Leslie... Like, the thing about Leslie, too, is it's really easy to paint her character as, like, well, of course, there's just, like, the dumb slut character in a mm-hmm. pageant movie. No one slut shames her in this entire movie. No. No one. No. Like, she just is allowed to exist this way, and everyone's just like, well, yep, that's Leslie. Like, even This is the, what I'm good at. Yeah, even to the point where, you know, at the, <laughs> at the parade when Amber and Leslie are sitting on the float, and she's like, if I die, 
cover up like my hickeys and the bite marks and I don't be seen, but on my inner thigh. And she's like, yes, Leslie, I will. I'll take care of you. <laughs> like, it's not even a matter of like, well, you shouldn't have them, girlfriend. Like none of that exists. It's like, okay, okay, we got it. Mm-hmm. And they just let it go. It's great. It's great. Love this movie it. does not slut shame her. It's amazing. Yeah. Which with how mean spirited a lot of the th- humor is towards women in, in this movie, that's actually quite impressive. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Like, the thing is, the people that are the butt of the joke in this are the people who are bad. Like, the people who do bad things. Like, Or the system itself. Or the system itself, absolutely. Like, so back to your point about John Doe. He's clearly a dude with a problem. Oh, yeah. Like, and, he needs help. Like, and they, they just, it's overlooked. No, no uh-huh. one even pays attention to this problem. They're just like, oh, you want to judge it? Okay, cool. And do, here's the thing. No, it's not a, hey, do you want to? Who's in charge of the pageant? Kirstie Alley. Well, of course. Who picks the judges? Kirstie Alley. Her wanting her daughter to win the pageant specifically picks somebody who is a known predator because he, like, she is banking on the fact that this pervert is going to be so attracted to her own daughter that he will choose her as the winner. See, that's much more malicious. I just assumed nobody else wanted to be a judge than these three. Oh, no, no. She picks them, and she handpicked them all for a reason. Oh, dear. Because then she also picks Hank, who owns the store, and he even mentions, like, yeah, it was really cool. I've never judged a pageant before, but now I get to paint the entire furniture store that is owned by Lester. Mm -hmm. And then the third judge is the woman who works at the furniture store who gets sexually harassed by Lester all day. Mm-hmm. Like, they specifically pick judges to pick Becky, and they are all from really fucked up perspectives. Uh-huh. Like, really gross perspectives. Again, the tr- like, obviously we know Gladys is the villain, but her villainy is so much more sinister than people realize. Ugh. Yeah, no, I did not, um, did not put that together. Mm-hmm. I've seen this movie a few times. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, so this, a lot of subtext. A lot of subtext. There's in this so movie. that's why this movie's so good because there's so much subtext going on into everything. Um, but yeah, she specifically picked him to to be there around young girls. Like she is okay with putting these girls in potential harm's way. Well, she murders them. So, well, well she also murders <laughs> clearly, them. Clearly, very good point. She clearly she, does not give. She a does shit. not care about their well being. But she's doing that in the hopes that her daughter will win a fucking pageant. Like that is so gross and sinister. Mm-hmm. And again, because it's satire, though, like th- moms like this exist, like who will do literally anything to get their daughters to win. Mm-hmm. So this is unfortunately like that's a good piece of satire. Like it's so uncomfortable, but that doesn't make it not good satire. Well, that's. That's definitely an issue that we have now, which is, I think, one reason that satire, people say like, oh, satire is dead or things are beyond satire, is that if you satirize something, people see it as an endorsement. Like, um, mm-hmm. what's what's the routine? What's what's the regular trend that we see all the time of like some 15 year old in their bedroom will make a clearly shit posting shit post and then people will screen grab it and put it on Twitter and go, can you believe this fucking moron? I have no faith in the generation today. Right. When it's like, no, they're shit posting. Like, they're clearly like, fucking with you. Yeah. Like, why are, don't don't take it seriously. There like, are dumb people. They know what they're doing. They're not dumb. Oh, yeah. It's like, I'm so sorry to bring this up. The amount of news reports that ran with the Halloween kills is homophobic thing because they don't understand that it's an in-joke in the queer community to call any minor inconvenience homophobic. Mm-hmm. So they were like, everybody thinks that Halloween kills and Michael Myers are homophobic. And it's like, 
that's no everyone's shit posting and mm-hmm. you think that this is news oh dear god help us i hope in the new year we can escape halloween kills because i feel like we reference it like every episode. i apologized <laughs> ahead of time because i knew it was gonna be a thing oh god it's just it's never gonna go away <laughs> i can't wait for halloween's ends to finally e- end it <laughs> evil is never dying tonight. evil never dies <laughs> fuck <laughs> So, so so our judges, um, we are now like one step away from the Kevin Bacon elephant in the room of this movie. Which is Will Sasso. Oh, it is not his fault. It was 1999. He was told to do this. Will Sasso in this movie is doing exactly what he was told to do. And mm-hmm. it is incredibly insensitive. Yes. But we also have to recognize that we are in the time period where things like Ding Fries Are Done. Oh, fuck yeah, that's going on. Was isn't it? really popular. Oh, I forgot about that. This is also the, like, what is it, Carlos Mencia Dirt Dirt Well, we're a couple of years out from that still. So we're getting there. But we're, we're there. We're creeping up on like, it. Like, we're. Tourette's guy's a big deal right now. Mm hmm. So, yeah, so what we're dealing with here is, is a, a time period that is ridiculously insensitive mm-hmm. to the disabled community. And in particular, people with cognitive uh, issues. There's a lot of... Uh, the R word is thrown around here like a motherfucker. Everyone refers to everyone as a, as like a goddamn redacted. Yes. Like, boy. Yeah. Just everywhere. Yeah. It is it is the the part of this movie that I think has aged the, the worst. Oh, it's not even close. Nothing else is in that league. No, nothing. Um, and, and the thing that makes this complicated, too, is the the subtext of how... He got this way. Oh, huffing paint, probably. Yeah. Well, bit of column A, column B, probably. Yeah, like the big indication is that he uh, he huffed a lot of paint and like blew his brain cells out, and mm-hmm. now he does things like you know the next time you drink window cleaner, I'm gonna leave it in you. Mm-hmm. And so, so Hank and Harold's relationship is very interesting. Um, yeah, you you get a little bit of the background that they they own the hardware store. But also their mom passed away and she is not buried in a in a graveyard because they say like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take the money and we're going to give our mom a proper headstone and move mm-hmm. her out to the cemetery, which implies that she's like in their backyard. Mm-hmm. So like there's there's a lot going on there to unpack. Again, subtext. Again, subtext. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the the constant reference to to him being a redacted or just a dact, uh is really fucking uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, most of the humor that comes from him is not from him. It's the way people around respond mm-hmm. uh, to to the point where um, I think at one point earlier I referred to the the brother as Hank. Will Sasso is Hank. The brother is Harold. Okay. But when Hank goes onto the stage and, like, goes after Kirstie Alley, basically, mm-hmm. um, Loretta cheers for him. And she's like, go, Hank. Yeah. Go for it, bud. Yeah. Um, because clearly he's treated like shit by every, like, everyone in the community treats him like shit. Mm-hmm. And here's the, the, the ugly elephant in the room, uglier than this movie's portrayal. That is how so many small towns treat that one person. Oh, yeah. No, here's the thing with this is I'm, I sit here as we've been talking about it and think about like, okay, this is getting a Blu-ray release next year, which means essentially this is getting let loose from the vault mm-hmm. for the first time in t- like 20 years. It's kind of going to be like this movie is being released in 2021 
and how that's going to read to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. This is not me defending that this aspect of the movie. However, I would say that as a whole, this movie is warts and all, as we said, a time capsule for small towns. And since small towns themselves are a time capsule, mm-hmm. I believe wholeheartedly many of them are still like this. They absolutely are. Like, 100% they are absolutely still like this. I'm sure my hometown is still like this. It's And it's one of those things that, like, no one ever wants to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But, like, when you had, like, the one kid in your school that had special needs, like, you know, not like, oh, this is a behavioral issue, therefore we're putting you in special ed, but, like, mm-hmm. somebody who genuinely had like a cerebral palsy or down syndrome or what have you mm-hmm. the entire town in small towns they know who that kid is they know who that family is and that's weird to me mm-hmm. like not that like the, the the family is weird no 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 that's not what i'm saying don't get it twisted what i'm saying is that in when you have a town where where people are graduating with classes of like 100 or less that's how they function mm-hmm. everybody knows everything about everybody And that includes if you have somebody who is outside of the norm at all, it's a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows who that is and everyone acts accordingly. And there is a status quo that is set as to how you're going to treat that person and everyone follows suit. And sometimes it's not good. Oh, yeah. I I distinctly remember going to church as a kid growing up and it was like, hey, we have to get there earlier. Otherwise, we're going to get stuck sitting in the back next to that old couple who has like the very impaired daughter Mm -hmm. and so it was like no we don't want to sit next to her she occasionally will just like blurt out noises and we don't want to be near that and that's how my parents treated it or i was in school and we had this one girl who um i i don't know exactly what her her thing was she didn't like loud noises Mm -hmm. so she may have been on the spectrum Mm -hmm. and she had like a tick so she had to wear an eye patch because one of her ticks was she would rub her eye and she would rub her eye raw Mm -hmm. if she didn't wear the eye patch but because she couldn't be around loud noises, she couldn't eat in the cafeteria with everyone else. Mm-hmm. But they didn't want her to eat by herself in a classroom, so they would take one kid every day and, you know, go like, oh, hey, you're going to go sit with her today. And everyone made fun of the person who got picked to do that. That hurts my heart so much, but I'm not surprised at all that that's how that happened. Yeah, it was like 1998 or whatever, 99. It was it's during this, this time. time. Yeah, like the school system is for sure definitely did not know what to do with with kids at this at this time period. Like this is also this is when we're in like starting to get into the swing of like put everybody on Ritalin because no uh-huh. one knows what to do with kids. Mm-hmm. Um so it's a it's a very bleak time. Mm-hmm. And this movie is is a reflection of that time for as ugly as it is. And again, we talk about it all the time on the show. Portrayal is not endorsement. No, especially with satire. Especially with satire. And this is a movie where like, yeah, the people who make fun of Hank, they're bad people. Yeah. Every single one of them are bad people. And that includes his brother. Yeah. Harold's kind of a piece of shit for how he treats Hank. Honestly, our good characters that we root for don't do that. Correct. They're all very kind and understanding and empathetic towards him. Or at the very least, they don't treat him like shit. Mm -hmm. They treat him like everyone else. Mm -hmm. Like one one of the best examples I can think of is in the interview portion because Hank and Harold are both there because he can't leave Hank unattended. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the interview and the first one we get is is Brittany Murphy who notices like 
hey, his pants are undone. Mm-hmm. And she's clearly like a little embarrassed and she does her very wonderful Brittany Murphy laugh. Mm-hmm. But she's like, I don't want to see that. And she's like clearly uncomfortable, but she's not being mean about it. Mm-hmm. She's just embarrassed and doesn't know what to do. And then you get the the other girl who, the one who's obsessed with sign language despite not being hard of hearing. Um, she gets very pleasant surprise later on. Yeah, she gets hit in the head later on and becomes deaf, and it's like the best thing that's ever happened to her in her in her mind, which that's a whole other thing to unpack. That's the kind of thing. People actually do do that kind of stuff nowadays. Yeah, yeah, they do. It's real fucked up. Yeah, it's, it's pe- people need help. People mm-hmm. need to go to therapy. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, so during her interview, she's kind of indignant about it, and she's like, the Dacted's pants are all the way off. And she's like real, like, snide about it and to me that is like that is such good character writing Mm -hmm. because if it had been any other character i think they all would have reacted like similarly with the exception of like britney murphy would have continued to be awkward and uncomfortable and kind of laugh it off because that's what she does because she's lovely in times of conflict and then there would have been somebody like amber who would have been way more like empathetic towards the situation mm-hmm. like amber is such a good person because amber is also the person who goes to the hospital in the eating disorder ward mm-hmm. and helps last year's winner who is an anorexic and like takes care of her and doesn't do it for publicity like becky correct becky shows up with chocolates like a fucking asshole mm-hmm. um they're your favorite <laughs> who are you who are you like and again Good satire. Mm-hmm. That seems really funny. And the joke is not that the girl has anorexia. No, it's that the, Becky's a bad person. The joke is that Becky's a bad person. Like, that is the joke. But but we have someone like Amber who's really lovely. So Amber would have taken that situation entirely differently. She would have been great about it. Unfortunately, because Gladys is rigging the pageant, she doesn't get that chance because she's too busy uh, naming and spelling all of the 50 states in alphabetical order, mm-hmm. which is such a good joke. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd you pick to be the president, dead or alive? Emperor Hirohito. Brett Favre. My mother. Because she could solve world hunger with one of her blue ribbon rhubarb pies, create world peace with one of her prayers, and still find time to look beautiful for my dad, Lester Lehman. So this is a movie about a beauty pageant, but but, uh-huh. the, but the Mount Rose American Teen Princess pageant is not where this movie ends. No, this movie just keeps going. Yeah. Which, like, I do love that because it feels, we- feels a little weird, but at the same time, it's like, no, but like, what's the point of doing this thing that then gets you to go to state if you don't go to state? Correct. So, spoiler upon spoiler, during the pageant... Amber, who is clear, clear cut the winner, does not win because Mount Rose is an area where you can dress like in a 50s poodle skirt and sing, can't take my eyes off of you. With a life-size Jesus puppet (laughs) on a crucifix. (laughs) On wheels. Uh. And you don't get laughed out of the pageant. You get to win. Because it's been rigged since the beginning. We know. Uh We know how it's going to end. I want to believe Denise Richards actually can sing very well. I have no idea. She does not get to display that here. I have no (laughs) idea if she can sing or not, but it is really funny that she talks, sings the beginning, and then dances with Jesus. God damn it. Oh, it's such a good visual. So Becky Lehman 
is in my world, this is a small town version of what we call a pageant patty. Mm -hmm. And a pageant patty is somebody who does everything the way that you expect them to in a pageant. Like there's nothing actually really interesting about them. They give the answers that you expect them to. Mm -hmm. So perfect example, when they do that interview and they're talking about like, if you could be any tree in the woods, what would you be? And we have all of our characters give very personality appropriate answers. Mm -hmm. The girl who's obsessed with the dog says she wants to be a dogwood tree. The girl who was adopted by Asian American parents says she wants to be a bonsai because she is has a lot of identity issues. Mm-hmm. The girl who wants to be an actress says she can be any tree that she that you want from her. Just give her time to warm up. But then you have Becky who gives the most like pageant patty answer possible, which is a tree with strong roots in a community like Mount Rose a solid trunk for I, I don't remember what reason, and then uh, big leafy branches to offer shade to handicapped kids on a hot summer day. Like, it is the most, I am going to shoehorn in as many, like, buzzword-isms as humanly possible. This, this is the world peace scene from Miss Congeniality? Correct. Yeah, that's what's going on here, but to a level that is believable to uh-huh. me. Like, the the world peace scene in Miss Congeniality, like, yeah, that's a joke. Like, that is a joke that is making fun of pageantry. Mm-hmm. Becky Lehman's answers, they they are, that is that is real. She's doing, like, SEO buzzwords where it's just like, let's just include all of the most, like, I, America, can believe in community because of love and perfection. Correct. Um, so I've also judged pageants before because after you've been in them for so long, you get called upon to to judge other communities' and pageants. You get a lot of these these girls who tell you, what, oh they, my they god, give you, they spin you sweet yarns and beautiful eyes, they thinking give- that's what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, they give you the answer that they think you want to hear, and sometimes you're like, what? Uh huh. No, I know that's not how you actually feel. Tell me how you actually feel. And that's why you end up with instances like Teen Miss South Carolina talking about maps and such as and Iraq and such as because she doesn't have an actual answer. She doesn't know what to say. So she's just trying to say what you think she thinks you want to hear and then just comes out as word salad because that is that in it in and of itself is a skill to develop mm-hmm. of saying the things that you want to say and having that pageant answer. That's that's a skill. And Becky just oh my god, it's so funny to me. Like all of her answers are like that and that's one of that's some of the best writing in the whole movie. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I'm like I don't know if people who do pageants understand just how amazing that writing is. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Becky wins. Amber yes. doesn't. Everyone knows that like they were robbed. Yeah. Because even if you just look at those talent segments back to back like that. Oh, yeah. Like Amber can dance mm-hmm. and she's doing a lovely tap performance as opposed to just sliding around the floor <laughs> with Jesus. And my the best part about that talent, though, is Annette, again, just high as hell on pain meds in the audience, losing her mind. I love her. As she should. Um, also, there's a lot of great comedy from Kirstie Alley in the pageant scene that we don't talk about. Like little subtle things like and contestant number eight amber ack 
and walking off stage. <laughs> like, God damn it. That's so funny. Well, that, that's also, is that right after she was supposed to get kicked out because they stole her costume? Yes. Yeah. So then so it's she's like, pissed. so she's pissed <laughs> off because the only reason she's in is because Brittany Murphy drops out because the family doesn't need another Liza. And Peter's got better legs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so she doesn't win. So we go to the parade because I don't know if a lot of people know this, but in a lot of cities, uh, they time their pageants around things like Memorial Day or Labor Day or some is that town why, centennial or whatever. Is that why this is like military themed? Uh, yeah. Okay. Likely. I, I was like, I just assumed that there's a lot of love for, for the armed forces in small towns. Well, that's also part of it too like that's just i think small town things is like well we can't get like big important floats and we can't get the we can't get like cool bands or whatever to play so what do we have uh we got fire trucks we got some veterans we got some veterans we're we gonna got have the, the shriners the shriners are gonna come out in their fezes and tiny cars um yeah Which we had to look up what the fuck the shriners were. like what they actually do they're freemasons well, we're like what the fuck are the shriners i'm like oh it's a blue collar frat okay yeah. got it <laughs> So, like, like these are all things that make total sense. But, of course, like, they got the big float because they expected her to win. Mm-hmm. And um, it smells... Quality. It smells like gasoline. It was from one of Lester's many Mexican workers. Remember, by American. The fact that that's what they say at the funeral. Oh, my God. It's so funny. Well, also, that's one thing that they lead with when they talk about past pageant themes. By American. Yeah. Proud to be an American. Can I? A mare? I can. God damn it. It's do so I even funny. need to have clips for this episode? No, I can just do whatever you want. Just tell me and I'll just do them. I'll uh, just have BJ do dramatic <laughs> readings of every single scene and then I'll use the ones I want. Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, she gets on the swan and Kirstie Alley lights like a like a sparkler or something. A and single sparkler. A single sparkler and the entire swan catches fire and explodes with Denise Richards on it and she dies and that leads to Gladys confessing that, yes, all of the other contestants who have mysteriously been injured, or in the case of Tammy Curry, died, uh, she was behind it. Um, she also sells out her husband, who sells uh, reproductions. Mm-hmm. Um, so she just kind of takes it all down. But the the thing about Gladys's snap that I think is like the central core to the whole movie is she loses it on the town. And she's like, what are you all looking at? A town full of losers. That's what I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. And it's that moment where you realize like, oh, no, no, no. Gladys knows. She knows she's the big fish in a small pond. Mm -hmm. She is fully fucking aware. And I think a little bit of her fucking hates it. And uh, this was her way of getting out of Mount Rose. I guess, yeah. Was just saddling on her daughter and hoping she was going to take her to state and take them out of Mount Rose. Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of women like this in communities, like the ladies with the biggest hats at church or the, the woman in charge of the PTA club. Like you you win your battles where you can when when it's a small town like this, you know? Oh yeah. You've got to do something that makes you feel like you're contributing, that you're worth something, that you're, that you're needed, that you're doing something. This happened two years ago, but everyone is still talking about my taco salad from the 4th of July barbecue. Exactly. Just these little wins that you just hang your hat on for the rest of your life. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what Gladys has been doing. Something else that, like a, like a little subtle thing that I don't think people catch on, is so they show a picture of Gladys in the pageant from when she won, and she has the traditional Mount Rose crown. It's small. It's like a little, uh, like a, maybe a, like a three-inch crown. Like, it's not, it's not anything to write home about. Okay. When she comes out wearing her, like, 
culottes that she sewed as her talent, mm-hmm. she is wearing a full crown that goes around her big ass hair. And as we've discussed, Kirstie Alley has some voluptuous hair. And this crown covers the entire front and wraps around the side of her head. So mm-hmm. she bought a bigger and better crown because she's got to feel good about herself. And that to me, like that is that is saying something like, no, 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 I'm better than the crown that I won in. I need something bigger. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of like speaks home. Uh, so I'll, I'll admit this on air. The year that I won the the Miss Pageant, I had a very like normal sized crown, like a very accurate crown. Usually how crowns worked is the biggest one went to Miss and then they were usually the similar style. Then get progressively smaller as you went down by age group. Okay. The year that I won though, my crown in comparison to the girls in my community, there was like, I think like 16 of us, was one of the smaller ones. And uh, people were talking shit about my town because where I'm from is poor. So the next year, the pageant director went, we're going humongous mm-hmm. and got like this absurd huge crown that my sister now, like when my sister won, she got to wear one of these huge ones. And it changed all of the crowns in the area. Everybody got bigger crowns after that. Um, what a dick measuring contest. Yeah. Why? It, I don't know. <laughs> this, this is the beauty pageant version of people bragging about engagement rings. Yes. It's so dumb. Like, it's so dumb. And like, there are times where I like look at my sister's crown and I'm like, how do you wear that? Like, there, there's a band that has to go all the way around the back of your head to hold it up because mm-hmm. it's so heavy. I had it like the little plastic, like like the, the little plastic little teeth. Yeah. Yeah. So they would just like kind of sit in my hair. Like, that was great. That's all I needed. And then my sister's like got this whopper. I'm like, how do you even carry that? What do you do? What you need a suitcase? That thing's huge. Uh, just, I I will never understand like the glitz and the glamour. I was, a, I was a I was a I was a play in the mud boy back then, you know. See, the thing I is, I was I was, both. <laughs> I was catch frogs on a Thursday and dress up on a Saturday. Like that was me. I never dressed up, so I didn't get the best yeah. of both worlds. I'm so sorry. It it's okay. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm sure it would have been lovely, but I'm perfectly content not intimately <laughs> understanding this world and purely getting it through osmosis. You're welcome. So, you know, Amber's first runner-up. The winner's dead. They give her that burnt-ass crown. She gets a burnt-ass crown, and she gets to be Mount Rose's American Teen Princess. And she goes to state. She gets to go to state, and she's all excited because she's going to get to stay at the Howard Johnson by the airport. And I love that you were like, oh, yeah, because of funding and stuff like that earlier. And it's like, yeah, that there's a lot of money, and if that money doesn't come trickling in, then you don't get to stay the night at the Howard Johnson. Mm-hmm. You get to get ready in four hours. <laughs> yeah, so they she shows up at state, and... Uh, right away she realizes that she's kind of out of her league and that's i think a big wake-up call that happens for anybody from a small town especially if you're the big fish in a small town Mm -hmm. and amber is not the big fish in a small town by any means but she won and she's excited and she she's happy to be there and then you go there and she starts talking to these other girls that are like oh yeah this is like my 30th pageant and she's like oh my god and then Mm -hmm. she sees another girl tap dancing to saturday night and she's like why am i even here like this Mm -hmm. girl's so much better than me uh, but luckily for Amber, um, everybody at state uh, ate the shellfish that was catered for the state pageant, and everybody gets sick. Everybody gets sick and throws up everywhere. Is this movie why you never ate shellfish? Maybe. Is this is this where your epiphany is, where you didn't know you were allergic to shellfish because of this movie, because you avoided it because of this movie? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 
I'm like watching you freak out over there. Are you losing it right now? I'm freaking out, man. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So for those of you that don't know, I'm allergic to fin fish and shellfish. And I only found out because I never ate it until really late in life. And then I tried it and then got very, very ill and had to go to the doctor. Um, And they were like shocked. They're like, what do you mean you've never had fish? And I was like, well, when I was a kid, like I didn't even eat fish sticks because I thought they smelled funny. But I didn't eat shellfish, and I didn't know why. And now I know why, because <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw this movie and was like, I don't want that shit. Oh because I God. love the I love the line that Amber gives. Is she's like, I never eat shellfish. Like my mom said, if it can carry its home around with it, who knows the last time it's been cleaned? And I think that like stuck in my brain, and I never ate shellfish because I was afraid of it. Well, thank you, dropped it gorgeous. You uh, inadvertently have saved my life. <laughs> Oh my god. I was, I was just doing like a silly throwaway and then I watched you have be like, oh my god, mother of god. Have you ever seen what a real epiphany looks like? Now you have. <laughs> so you were like fun. the fucking meme of that one woman going, the what? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much exactly what just happened now. Oh my god. So yeah, anyway, Amber's the only one who doesn't get sick, so she wins. Yeah, so she wins by default, uh, which is great. Also, Mo Gaffney's uh, one of the pageant directors, and she's hilarious, and Mo Gaffney needs to be in more things. She's a comedic genius and very underrated. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Uh, so yeah, Amber wins uh, state, goes back home, gets the hero's welcome. It's a, it's a big deal. She's really excited. Her uh, mom has lost her hand. Her mom has lost her hand. She now has a claw. <laughs> uh-huh. Um And I love that (laughs) she's trying to open the beer and she can't. So she just stabs it and then is so proud of herself. Like, I did it. And it's like, you did it, Ellen Barkin. I'm so proud of you. And BJ's sitting there going, ugh, drinking beer out of a can out of a glass is weird. It is weird. (laughs) Like, draft beer in a glass makes sense to me. But like pouring, I don't know, something about pouring a can into a glass, like my brain just is short circuits thinking about it. Was was it like that time where I, uh, I bought Diet Squirt, which is my diet soda of choice, if anyone's curious. And then I poured it into a glass because there was no ice. So I'm like, oh, a glass of ice. Great. And I poured it. And I'm like, ooh, why does it look like that? Why does it like got like a milky color? <laughs> why does Diet Squirt look like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. I mean, I know what color beer is, though, especially cheap beer. <laughs> it's like a light piss. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Amber gets to go to nationals. Um, and unfortunately, Sarah Rose Cosmetics that has been hosting the pageant for 50 odd years. Uh they have uh, filed for bankruptcy and there is no national pageant and they thought not to tell anyone. So they all just show up and the doors are closed and the pageant queens uh, destroy. They rage. They rage and they destroy Sarah Rose Cosmetics, except for Amber, who just gets right on the bus and is like, I'm done. Now, here's the thing. I think that that is so perfect for her character because she just keeps lucking her way to the top and she's, she's still, she's not even at the top yet. She gets higher up than this, but she lucks her way to the top and all of these other Becky Ann Lehmans that she was in competition with lose their shit because this is what they've got. Because mm-hmm. this is all they have. Yeah. This is all they've worked for. And now it's over. And they don't know what to do. Yeah. And Amber's just like, I was just trying my best. And you know what? Be like, I I don't need any of this. I'm a Okay. I'm going to yep, leave go now. Go tear it apart. <laughs> So after that all happens, then we lead into kind of like our epilogue where we find out where everyone is gone. Like Leslie uses the uh, the $50 she got to the Votech of her choice and goes to beauty school, becomes a stripper, and then disappears. Um, but the big reveal uh, at the end is that Kirstie Alley has broken out of prison. 
Mm-hmm. Um, she is at a gas station, not a gas station, a supermarket, and there's a giant chicken sign, and she's hiding behind the chicken sign with a gun, and she wants to kill Amber. Mm-hmm. That's her goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and she inadvertently shoots a reporter in the process who's like, you know, trying to report on this 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 shootout situation Mm -hmm. and Amber being wonderful uh, swoops in, picks up the microphone and continues reporting because all she wants to do is be a reporter. Mm -hmm. And because she showed such bravery and poise under pressure, she is given that now dead reporter's job. Just like Diane Sawyer. Just like Diane Sawyer. And (laughs) it is kind of like the most perfect and poetic ending to this movie. Just like, Hey, sometimes you don't have to be the best. You just have to be the luckiest. Well, and that's that's a thing that happens in in the the graveyard scene at Becky's funeral when Loretta is taking her, and she's like, "You're a good person, and good things happen to good people." And she goes, "Really?" And she goes, "Nah, kid, you're luckier than shit. You better yeah. enjoy it." Mm-hmm. That is the central conceit of this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it would be poetic justice if Amber would have won, but had Amber would have won, she would have died on that float. Yeah, but she didn't because luck. She Mm -hmm. lucked into everything that she got, and that's okay. Sometimes that's how life works. Sometimes you do luck into shit. She is good enough and a lovely person with a lovely personality, and that is great for hosting the news. (laughs) So she did all of the right things to happen into the perfect stumbles that got her to where she is most well utilized. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I just, I love it so much. The movie is just, it makes me so happy because it, you know, like I said at the top of the show, it hits a part of my life that I don't have any outlets to express because I'm kind of demonized anytime I do. This, um, this, this sort of encapsulates your upbringing. A little bit, yeah. A, it lo- just, a lot of bit. A, lo- a lot of bit, yeah. And it just, it it makes me feel really happy. And I think that it's a, it's a wildly misunderstood movie. And I am very afraid for it when it's Blu-ray and gets to a wider audience because I I know that it's going to be lost on a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And people are going to get hung up on the inability to hold two truths at the same time with this movie. Because, yeah, there's a lot of problematic shit in this movie. No one's denying that. Um, But I I just I I love this movie and it it makes me so very happy. Um, And I'm glad that we we were finally able to to have an excuse to talk about it, other than just, I want to talk about it. Hey, it's timed up with a pageant that we barely talked about, but (laughs) topical. Hey, it's in between two pageants. It was culturally relevant. Yeah, see, there you go. I doubt anyone who listens to our show is watching Miss USA or Miss America. Honestly, because this is coming out after Miss USA, maybe we'll be lucky and Miss Nevada uh, will will have placed or won and she's the first trans contestant in Miss USA. So that's a big deal and that's cool. Good Good for her. Yeah, good for her. Um, Well, Harmony. Oh yeah, what's up? The time has come. Sure. Dropped a Gorgeous is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? I mean, it's clearly a yes. I mean, thank God we have a lot of problems. I'd be like, I feel like this would be the thing that would end our marriage if I said anything else. No, that'd be Fright Night, but that's okay. We already crossed that bridge. That's true. No, um, no, I love this movie. I think it is lovely. I also just, I have this, I have my own Amber Adkins moments where I'm just like, boy, howdy, I'm just sure enjoying that you're enjoying this. Mm -hmm. Because like... At least 30% of my joy watching this is watching you be so excited about it. Because, like, you sit forward in your chair and you get giddy 
Yeah, And I it's do. really lovely. Oh, thanks. And you're like, I think I've seen this movie more than any movie in history. <laughs> and I, like, I really was sitting there thinking about it. I was like, yeah, I've definitely watched this movie more than I think any movie that I've ever watched. Mm-hmm. I, Josie might be, might be close. Yeah. Josie or this. The, those are the two that I've seen more than anything. And I, I just, it's so funny. It's mm-hmm. so fucking funny. <laughs> But yeah, I don't think that there's anything else I can I can say that we haven't already talked about. This is mostly just me sitting here going, I'll say some stuff, but I just want to have you gush about your movie. <laughs> I have one thing that I can add that's fun. Oh yeah, what's that? So after I got my uh, my surgeries from pancreatic cancer and stuff, anytime anybody wanted to see my scar, I used to lift my shirt up and go, they remade my belly with skin for my butt, even though they <laughs> didn't, just because it's funny. And when else am I going to get the chance to quote that part of the movie? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Oh, Tess, you German shepherd loving weirdo. <laughs> I, I love her barks. <laughs> but the greatest bark of all is the German shepherd. <laughs> that doesn't even sound like a bark at all. No, that was you just dying. But that's the noise she makes. She goes, <laughs> It's not. I I know. It's you, not right. Uh, it's fine. She loves that dog. She so. does. And then she also loves Kenny, her little wiener dog. I love Kenny. Yeah, he's great. Oh god. All right. So you're very red in the face from a lot of energy and yelling. Yeah. Um. There was a lot happening there. Cool. Let's take care of business and head on home. All right. We're gonna take care of business because I forgot to at the front. We have a Patreon if you like to support our show. Patreon.com backslash this ends at prom constant and evergreen reminder once we hit five hundred dollars uh we will interrupt the schedule to do grease so i can have a bad time uh you can also give us a five-star review on apple itunes we read all of them and i cry about them so thank you to all of you who've been doing that you are the best you can follow the show on twitter and instagram at this ends at prom you can follow me on twitter and instagram at bj colangelo I'm also on twitter and instagram at velocitraptor velosa underscore trap underscore tour and thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for letting us use title as the theme song. We love you. Y'all are the best. Harmony, what cool band do you want people to check out this week? Uh, I'm shouting out a, a small town band from back home in Cleveland. Ooh. It's a band called Bitch Seat with two eyes. Tight. I love Bitch Seat. Uh, they self-describe themselves as being very Liz Fair or the Breeders sounding. Oh, I like that. But like... But very poppy. Um, they released an EP earlier in the year called I'll Become Kind, and it's got a song called Antidepressed on it, which is one of my favorite songs of the year. That's great. It's probably one of my most listened to songs on Spotify. It's incredible. And they just released a new song called Tippish. Mm-hmm. And I think that one's also super duper great. Well, friends, that takes us out on Drop Dead Gorgeous. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we will see you next week. Don't forget, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye.
never should have won. Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing. Peter never would have pulled a shenanigan like that. Well, you know what, Dad? You know what? Peter's gay. Gay! What? This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.